like to welcome you to this webinar, Invisalign Treatment for the Growing Patient. It is my pleasure to introduce you to our host today, Nancy Pham with Align Technology. Nancy, you now have the floor. Thank you, Charlene. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, Invisalign Treatment for the Growing Patient with Dr. Sandy Tai. You will earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificate at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor site account. Please note you're able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar, you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions, which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance if we are unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today on the Academy tab of your Invisalign doctor site where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask the Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our speaker today, Dr. Sandy Tai. Dr. Sandra Tai has been an Invisalign certified orthodontic since 2000 and is currently an Invisalign Diamond Plus provider at her practice in Vancouver, Canada. Dr. Tai has taught Invisalign at various universities internationally, including Asia, the Middle East, and North America. In 2014, she was a member of the Clinical Review Committee for the Invisalign Gallery. Her cases have been published in North America Invisalign Gallery for 2012 and 2014. She is also a member of the Editorial Board Journal Aligner Orthodontics and the author of Clear Aligner Technique, Contestants, Publishing, May 2018. Dr. Tai graduated with the Prime, Minister, Prime Minister's Gold Medal from the University of Malaya in 1986. She received her graduate training in orthodontics at the University of Minnesota and graduated with a certificate in orthodontics and a Master of Science degree in 1990. So without further delay, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Tai. Dr. Tai, you now have the floor. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us on this webinar. Today, I'm going to introduce Invisalign for Growing Patients. And by way of introduction, I want to bring up to the fact that every parent has concerns regarding their child undergoing orthodontic treatment. And these concerns are many, uh, the first one relates to pain. Very often patients will ask me, how much pain is my child going to experience if they're going to have orthodontic treatment? The second concern would be dietary concerns. What can my child eat and what they cannot eat while they're undergoing orthodontic treatment? What will harm the braces or cause broken brackets or tires poking into the cheeks? The third concern is related to oral hygiene. Very parents are concerned about their parent, kids being able to keep their teeth clean when they have to brush with brackets and wires. And finally, of course, how is this treatment overall going to affect my child's life when they have soccer practice, dance recitals, and music events, and so on? While these concerns are common to every parent, uh, when the child is 13 or 14, oftentimes parents will say, well, yeah, the kid will just put up with it and they're going to survive it. But the younger the child is, when a seven or eight-year-old is told that they're going to need some early interceptive treatment, these concerns become uh, magnified in the eyes of the parents. My child is so young. How are they going to put up with all these things? Am I going to have to go back to brushing my child's teeth for them? And so I feel that treating little smiles with Invisalign offers a solution that adequately addresses the concerns of these parents. Today, we're going to talk about two topics. Invisalign first, 
phase one mixed dentition treatment. And you're going to hear more about Invisalign First in many months to come. Invisalign First will be launched in July 2018 of this year. So this will be a sneak preview on some cases that have been treated with Invisalign First. And the second half of this presentation today, we will cover Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement. There are many indications for phase one treatment. Generally, in a phase one treatment, an orthodontist would like to address any skeletal discrepancies through growth modification. Another goal of phase one treatment would be to create space for future eruption of permanent teeth. Cases that may be addressed in phase one include posterior crossbites, we want to correct those and expand, anterior crossbites, we want to correct those early, as well as cases where there might be traumatic occlusion that we might want to correct early. I'd like to introduce Invisalign First treatment to you. The first thing I want to say is that Invisalign First is uniquely different from Invisalign Team. And as the presentation progresses, I will point out some of the major differences in Invisalign First. Invisalign First is specifically designed for growing patients. It's a premium orthodontic solution for growing patients. It's the patient experience that mom wants for their growing children and a practice differentiator for orthodontists. And orthodontic experience that teens and adults already currently receive with Invisalign Clear Aligner Therapy. Some of the five points that we're going to look at today is that Invisalign treatment offers the following benefits. Treatment for a broad range of malocclusions, more predictable dental arch expansion, short clinical crown support, support for the erupting condition, and prescription and treatment planning support for phase one treatments. I'd like you to read the note that's right at the bottom of the screen here, that Invisalign First is designed for dental alveolar arch expansion and not skeletal arch or palatal expansion. What this means is that when we expand dental arches using the Invisalign First clear liners, we're really developing the dental arch. We are not aiming to have skeletal expansion or to open the mid-palatal suture. Invisalign First was launched as a limited market release and there were 54 global doctors enrolled in this pre-launch and 600 over patients since September 2017. In general, there's been very positive feedback from the doctors and these product improvements will be implemented for general availability beginning July 2018. As one of the 54 global doctors enrolled and having treated a number of Invisalign First patients since September 2017, it is my privilege today to share with you three of the cases that I have treated with Invisalign First. The first case is a class one mixed dentition malocclusion with deep overbite and crowding. This is a female patient, age nine and a half. What you will note is that her four permanent incisors in both upper and lower dental arches are fully erupted, as well as the permanent first molars. In fact, the American Association of Orthodontists recommend the first orthodontic screening at age 
seven. And oftentimes when a patient presents in our practice like this, this is a time that we will evaluate to see if a phase one early intervention treatment is necessary or not. These are her pretreatment radiographs. Skeletally, the patient is class one. The panoramic radiograph shows the presence of all permanent teeth and nothing unremarkable. And here's my diagnosis. Patient presents with a mixed dentition, class one malocclusion, deep overbite, overjet is within normal limits. There are moderate upper and lower crowding, rotations of upper incisors. The upper right lateral incisor is in crossbite and the lower incisors are lingually displayed and hypererected. When this case presents in your office, how would you treat a patient such as this? Well, my treatment plan involves maintaining the class one molar and canine relationship, aligning upper and lower dental arches, correct the anterior crossbite of the upper right lateral incisor, intrude the lower incisors and level the curve of speed to correct the deep overbite, and to create space for eruption of the permanent canine. This is a case that we would normally treat in our office with what is commonly known as an upper lower two by four bands on the first molars and four brackets on the incisors, hence the term two by four. Any case in your practice that you intend to treat with an upper lower two by four would be an ideal candidate for an Invisalign first treatment. So I've made a diagnosis and a treatment plan. Now I'm going to take that treatment plan and input that treatment plan into the prescription form. So my treatment plan was to maintain the molar and canine relationship and that's the little circles that I'm going to click on my prescription form. I'm going to correct the deep overbite by intruding both the upper and lower teeth. And I'm going to place bike ramps on the upper incisors for correction of the deep overbite. This will also help to disocclude the posterior teeth and help to relieve that cross spike of the upper right lateral as I align that tooth. The midlines were coincident in the initial malocclusion, so I'm going to say maintain initial midline. And now I have to make a decision as to how I'm going to deal with the crowding in both upper and lower dental arches. The first thing I want to point out is that for Invisalign first patients, I'm going to make a no IPR treatment plan. And hence, I've ticked off all the boxes that say none on the right side of the screen. Primarily, these patients will be planned for dental arch expansion with some incisor proclination as needed. Now, this tab, page 11, is going to be a new screen that you will see on your prescription form for these Invisalign first patients. It allows you to prescribe maxillary arch expansion per quadrant. And in this particular case, uh, we have to state upper left and upper right. I've written down three millimeters, but when you look at the drop down menu here on the screen, you can see that we can prescribe the amount of dental arch expansion ranging from 0.5 millimeters to five millimeters. And this is for the upper arch. The lower arch expansion will be coordinated together with the amount of upper arch expansion prescribed. The other thing we have a choice 
to choose which teeth are to be expanded. We can ask to expand permanent posterior teeth only, which in a phase one treatment might only apply to the upper first molars. We could expand permanent and primary posterior teeth. We could expand the permanent posterior teeth and permanent canines. And you can see the box that I've ticked where I've chosen to expand permanent and primary posterior teeth as well as permanent or primary canine. Some clinicians will say, well, how about violating the intercanine width? The principle of the intercanine width applies to older patients where the intercanine width is no longer changing with growth. And Maury's growth studies show that the intercanine width is established perhaps at the age of 9 or 10 after the eruption of the permanent canine. And so for patients who are much younger, who either still have a primary canine in place or perhaps lack a primary canine, it is perfectly all right to expand both the permanent and primary posterior teeth as well as the canine. Well, how much do we expand? What is the ideal transpasal width for a mixed dentition patient? McNamara, in this publication from Ann Arbor dated 2001, has done some studies and put the ideal transpasal or intermolar width as 36 to 38 millimeters for an adult and 33 to 35 millimeters for mixed dentition. This transpasal width is measured at the intersection of the lingual groove with the gingival margin of the upper first molar. In the latest edition of Graber in chapter 16, once again, McNamara says, consider increasing the arch size at a young age so that skeletal, dental alveolar, and muscular adaptations can occur before the eruption of the permanent dentition. I think that McNamara makes a great case for doing early dental alveolar expansion which has shown to decrease the likelihood of the patient requiring extractions when they transition into the full permanent dentition. So when I look at this first patient, the pretreatment intermolar width measured where the lingual groove of the first molar meets the gingival margin is 29 millimeters. And the ideal width as stated by McNamara should be 33 to 35 millimeters. So as a result, I'm going to ask for three millimeters in the upper right and three millimeters in the upper left, making a total of six millimeters expansion, which would bring this patient to a post-treatment intermolar width of 35 millimeters. So this will be treatment goal. Here we can see the clincheck of the patient and you can see with Invisalign first, we have these new attachments that very much look like a miniaturized version of the optimized deep bite attachments on the primary and the permanent first molars. This is the amount of crowding in both dental arches for the patient. You can see that the upper right lateral incisor is in crossbite and we're going to correct that anterior crossbite and thus using the bite ramps to disclude occlusion. As we look at the finished occlusion, you'll see the little green boxes where I've prescribed some space to be left mesial and distal to the primary canines. The staging for the expansion is going to be a little different. 
a first molars are expanded first and then held in place and then assess the second stage, the permanent, uh, the primary molars will then be expanded. Same thing in the lower arch, the first molars will be expanded with minor distalization, followed by the primary molars and incisor alignment. This staging is very unique for Invisalign first, and you can see that clearly on the staging tab where the molars are expanded first with incisor alignment. When the first molars stop expanding, then the primary molars start to expand. This maximizes the strength of Invisalign clear aligners as a maximum anchorage appliance and gives us much more predictability in the expansion of both upper and lower dental arches. Here's the patient at five months. You can see that there has been uh, some expansion taking place. If you look at the first molars, they're on the buckle aspect, they are much wider than where the primary molars were. And in the lower arch, again, you can see that the first molar is wider. There's a space between the first molar and the primary second molar from distalization as well as incisor alignment happening and a significant leveling of the deep overbite that the patient had previously. Some of the benefits for Invisalign first aligners. Little smiles deserve a better treatment experience. It is very difficult to deal with brackets and poking wires in a phase one. Great results. Invisalign first offers much more predictable expansion and dental arch development than the normal two by four that we would use. Little smiles deserve a digital experience. The Itero scanner delivers a quick digital smile scan. And that is the beauty of combining clear liner treatment for this younger patient. Oftentimes when I have a young patient come into my practice, they're really scared not of having brackets and wires placed on their teeth, but their real fear lies in having impressions taken. And, you know, the kid will look at me and say, are we going to start today with that hesitation and that tremor? And I will tell the child, oh, I know what you're worried about. You're worried about that goopy stuff that the dentist is going to put in your mouth and then you feel like you can't breathe or you're going to choke. Well, we don't put that goopy stuff in our patient's mouth in our practice. We are going to use a video scanner and we're going to take a 3D video scan of your teeth and put it on the computer and then Dr. Tai is going to move the teeth on the computer and design a new smile for you. And you can see this little seven, eight-year-old patient, how their eyes light up and go, wow, you're going to video scan my teeth? Can I see it on the computer? And it completely transformed the treatment experience for patients at the seven to eight-year-old range. And little smiles deserve a gentle transformation. The aligners are made from smart track materials. They provide a better fit for improved comfort as well as very gentle activation of the teeth because Invisalign first patients will change their aligners every seven days. So to summarize, there are two unique elements that make Invisalign first possible. The first one, of course, is seven day change. We know that the younger the patient is, the more responsive the teeth are to orthodontic tooth movement. And so all Invisalign first patients will change your aligners every seven days.
If an aligner breaks or the patient should lose an aligner, we just tell the patient to move up to the next aligner even if they have not completed all seven days of aligner wear. The second unique element, of course, is the integration of the scanner technology into the practice. This completely removes any roadblocks of the patient having fear towards orthodontic treatment. It's a big thrill for the patient and the parents to see the treatment outcomes simulated on the scanner and a great motivator for these patients as they see what their finished smile would look like. Let's look at the next case, a class one mixed dentition malocclusion with increased overjet and narrow dental arches. This is the case, the patient is female and age nine. You can see that she has a very tapered V-shaped upper arch and she has lost the primary canines prematurely as the incisors erupted and same thing in the lower arch. This patient really has fairly severe crowding. And yet at the same time, as we look at the buckle relationship, she has a class one buckle malocclusion. There might be an argument in this case for serial extractions. However, when I considered her facial profile and looked at the upper lip support and the nasolingual angle, I decided that we would do an early expansion and try to do a non-extraction approach for this particular patient. These are her pre-treatment radiographs. She's class one skeletal. And on the panoramic, you can see that there will be insufficient room for the eruption of the upper permanent canines and that we really need to do some sort of dental alveolar expansion to create space for those canines to erupt. So here's my diagnosis. Mixed dentition, class one malocclusion, increased overjet ranging from six to 10 millimeters. The overbite is within normal limits. There is severe upper and lower arch crowding with insufficient space for eruption of permanent canines. The upper lateral incisors, both on the right and on the left has erupted to anterior crossbite. And the lower left lateral incisor is lingually displaced as a result, and the lower midline is deviated to the left. So here's my treatment plan. I would like to maintain the molar and canine relationship. I would like to have upper and lower dental arch expansion to align the incisors, create space for the eruption of the permanent canines. Our goal would be to correct the anterior cross spike of the upper lateral incisors as well as to align dental midlines with facial midlines. You can also measure the intermolar width on your iCAT digital cast. And here in this uh, prescription form, in, for this particular patient, because the arch is constricted and narrow to begin with, as well as due to the severity of the crowding, I have decided to ask for four millimeters of expansion in both the upper left as well as the upper right quadrant. In this particular case, because the patient did not have primary canines in place, I have asked them to add eruption compensation for the following teeth, for all the canines. Now you notice that for Invisalign first, you will also be able to ask for eruption compensation on the first premolars as well. 
So here's the clinchat, and you can appreciate the severity of the crowding and the malocclusion. You can see the new molar attachments on the primary second molar as well as the permanent first molar. In this quadrant, you can see an eruption compensation for a first premolar uh, on the clinchet. And as we play through the clinchet and go through the expansion, you will note again that the eruption compensation appears as enough space is created for the permanent teeth. Here you see the canines, which look like ghost-shaped teeth on your clinchet, but will appear very much just as pontics on your aligner. Let's look at each individual arch and play through the simulation of the expansion. So when we look at the upper arch, we can see that in this line first is stage for sequential expansion, first the upper first molars with some distalization, and then the primary molar, and the eruption compensation appearing for the canines as the expansion is carried out. In the lower arch, similarly, the sequence of expansion is upper first, uh, first molar permanent molar followed by the primary molars until the arch is developed and expanded. And this will be the final occlusion on both right and left sides. So here's this patient at five months with progress record. You can see that there's been expansion in the posterior. You can see, look at the width of the upper molars and the buccal aspect compared to the primary molars. In the lower arch, same thing. You can see the expansion in the lower molar. You can see in the lower arch some alignment and spaces appearing uh, for the primary canines. Now, at this stage in time, we actually had to rescan this patient because the primary molar here was mobile and the first premolar is erupting. Which brings me to one of the key points of doing a phase one treatment with clear aligners, that we have to be prepared to rescan the patient as teeth erupt and as the dentition transitions into the permanent dentition. Sometimes we can allow a tooth to erupt into the space where the primary molar occupies onto the aligner. So if the patient is able to wear the aligner, the aligner still fits, then there's no hurry to rescan. Just allow the permanent tooth to erupt into the space previously occupied by the primary tooth on the aligner. But if the aligner does not fit, then what we will do is we will leave the attachments on the teeth, quickly do a rescan, and carry on with the original treatment plan with better fitting aligners. Our third case of Invisalign first, class two mixed dentition malocclusion with increased overjet and severe crowding. This is a patient age seven when I first saw her. And you can see once again that this patient is a mild class two in the buccal relationship. There could be a traumatic occlusion issue right here on the central incisor. And she also has impacted lateral incisors. So if we uh, look at the panoramic, there's a lateral incisor here that has no room to erupt. 
and one here in the lower arch that does not have enough room to erupt. So my diagnosis is mixed dentition class 2 malocclusion, increased over jet 6 millimeters. The overbite is within normal limits, there's severe upper and lower arch crowding, with insufficient space for eruption of the permanent upper left lateral incisor, narrow tapered arch form, impacted lower right lateral incisor, with the lower midline deviated to the right. And on the photographs here, where you look at the yellow arrows, those are where the permanent lateral incisors are positioned. So just as with any intervention treatment, sometimes we don't really start treatment right away. My treatment plan is to extract the upper and lower primary canines, to observe for eruption of the upper left lateral and the lower right lateral incisor, and then after the incisors have erupted, I will initiate my phase one treatment to align the incisors, expand the dental arches, and regain space for the eruption of permanent canines. We would also align the dental midlines with the facial midlines. So this patient was referred for extraction of the primary canine, and here she is six months later, where the lateral incisors have now erupted into the dental arch. But at the same time, you can see that this patient had a very high caries rate. And now she comes back to me six months later with stainless steel crowns on all the primary molars. This is an ideal case for Invisalign first, because with the high rate of caries, we would be very hesitant about placing fixed appliances on this patient's teeth. And with the stainless steel crowns, it would either involve multiple bands or having to bond uh, first molars, which are quite a distance from the incisors, and that will lead to a long length of unsupported wire. This patient is an ideal indication for Invisalign first. And so on the prescription form, under step three, attachments, I've asked them and indicated not to place any attachments on the teeth that have stainless steel crowns. On the amount of expansion, again, due to the severity of the crowding and the calculations that I discussed with you earlier, I'm going to ask for four millimeters of expansion on the upper left as well as the upper right quadrant. Under the eruption compensation tab, I'm going to request for eruption compensation for the permanent canines. And here's the ClinCheck. On the ClinCheck, you can see that they have followed my instructions not to have instructions on the stainless steel crowns, but you can see the new molar attachments on the permanent first molars. You can see an eruption compensation already offered for one of the missing teeth in the upper left quadrant. As we look through the arch form, and you can see how narrow and constricted they are in both the upper and the lower dental arches. And now we're going to play through the ClinCheck, and we're going to have a look at the expansion as well as the creation of space for future eruption of permanent canines. Now you will notice that this patient has a significant number of aligners but she's not going to wear all the aligners. In fact, it's very likely that we will rescan her within 
five months in order to accommodate teeth that are erupting into the dental arch. Once again, you see the sequential expansion and distalization to create space for both the permanent canine as well as the permanent first premolar. In the lower arch, again, you can see some distalization and expansion in the lower arch, staging first with the permanent first molars and then the primary molars, followed by incisor alignment and creation of space for the future eruption of permanent canines. This is the amount of expansion that's been programmed into the dental arches in the upper arch as well as in the lower arch. And here's the patient at four months. You can see that the molars have been distalized and there is a space between the primary second molar as well as the first molar in the arch as well as in the lower arch. So our expansion and distalization is happening as planned. And in fact, the molars are now in more in a class one relationship you can see some space opening up for the canine. And in the interim time, the upper left first premolar has actually erupted. And here's another photograph of the patient on the same day. And this photograph, the patient is wearing the aligners. And you can see how that first premolar is erupting very nicely into the eruption compensation that's been built for it in the aligner. And so with a patient with a high caries risk, multiple stainless steel crowns, Invisalign first is an ideal first phase appliance for patients like these in terms of the oral hygiene, in terms of perhaps the inability to put any bands or brackets on the stainless steel crowns. Invisalign first will offer us the anchorage that we require for distalization as well as dental arch expansion. So let's look at some general principles of phase one treatment. Four principles I would like to discuss today, dental alveolar expansion, eruption compensation, adequate retention, as well as timing. Dental alveolar expansion, any case that you're considering treating with an upper lower two by four is a potential phase one Invisalign case. Upper and lower dental arch expansion may be programmed to regain space or to create space for future eruption of permanent teeth. Eruption compensation. With Invisalign first, we can build in eruption compensation for lateral incisors, canines, first and second premolars. This will allow us as clinicians to treat a wider range of malocclusion in patients at a younger age. However, we need to be prepared to rescan for additional aligners as new teeth erupt and the patient transitions into the permanent dentition. The third one is adequate retention. In the mixed dentition phase, patients tend to have short clinical crowns, and these usually means less retention. Ensure that there are adequate attachments for retention, including the new molar attachments. 
In that last case that we reviewed, the patient had multiple stainless steel crowns, which did not allow me to place retentive attachments on the primary molars. But where possible, I would also advocate the new molar attachments on both the permanent as well as the primary molars. Timing. Timing for mixed dentition case is everything. We know even when we use upper lower two by fours that at some point, sometimes the primary teeth exfoliate in the middle of treatment, particularly if we have open coils in there to open up space for the eruption of permanent canines. So for Invisalign first patients, really to choose the correct timing so that the treatment process will not be frustrating for both the clinician as well as the parent. I would recommend starting treatment early after the eruption of the permanent first molars and incisors. If you think the primary first molars may exfoliate within three months, then it sometimes it might be better to wait until the fours erupt for the optimal timing to treat these patients. If the patient is further on in the mixed dentition phase and only has primary second molars in place, then allow the second premolar to erupt into the primary second molar pontic space. The Invisalign aligner will act as a great holding arch to maintain that leeway space. And after the second premolar erupts, if there's residual leeway space, then the patient may be rescanned and that leeway space utilized for the alleviation of crowding. The patient inclusion criteria for Invisalign first treatment, the use of Invisalign first products requires that the patients have erupted permanent first molars and they recommend a minimum four millimeter crown height on the buckle aspect of the permanent first molars and at least any two incisors that are at least two-thirds erupted. That means that we could start treatment with only upper central incisors and two permanent first molars in place. The patient should also have at least two primary or unerupted permanent teeth per quadrant in at least three quadrants and this relates to the anchorage requirements for having enough teeth for the aligner to anchor onto. So to summarize for Invisalign first, these new features are tailored for younger mixed dentition patients. It allows us to have treatment for a broad range of malocclusions. It is designed for predictable dental arch expansion due to the smart stage technology and the optimized that for phase one staging patterns. The new and improved staging patterns, which is sequential expansion. And it makes so much sense to me as a clinician because we are already doing sequential distalization, sequential expansion. And in the next section of this presentation, we will look at sequential advancement with Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement. Number four, short clinical crown support. So to improve retention on the short clinical crowns, new optimized retention attachments are automatically placed. And five, accommodate patients through the phase one treatment. The second half of this presentation on Invisalign for growing patients 
I would like to introduce to you Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement. What is Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement? It is a new solution available with Invisalign Teen for class two correction in growing patients with retronathic mandibles. And it looks very much like an aligner, except that there's a pair of buckley place reinforced precision wings, which are integrated to the aligner in both the upper as well as the lower aligner. So that when the patient bites down, they will be forced to position their mandible in a forward position as these precision wings engage and hold the mandible in the advanced position. At this time, Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement is pending 510K approval in the United States and not available for treatment yet, not for sale in the United States. Here's a sample ClinCheck of a typical Invisalign with mandibular advancement case. These are the precision wings on the buckle that sequentially advance the mandible into an edge-to-edge -edge position and then holds the mandible there until the patient is corrected to a class 1. In the initial stages, you can see for this Division 2 case, there is some incisor alignment to increase the overjet, which we call the pre-MA phase. And then the precision wings appear. And in this stage of treatment, we will call it the MA phase, the advancement phase. And then at the end of the advancement, there will be a simulation jump into class one. So the three phases of Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement in the first phase, on the ClinCheck, you will see this light blue bar at the bottom, which we call the pre-MA phase. Sometimes some preparatory work needs to happen before we can advance the mandible. The purpose of the pre-mandible advancement phase is really to make overbite and overjet correction or other minimal tooth movements for successful placement of the precision wings. There are four instances that might be indicated for pre-MA phase. The first one is the incisor inclination in Division II cases. If the patient doesn't have any overjet, there will be some incisor alignment to create at least two millimeters of overjet before the precision wings come in for the first simulation jump forward. If the patient has a deep overbite that's more than eight millimeters, then some anterior intrusion will be programmed to bring that deep bite to eight millimeters or less before the advancement phase. If the permanent first molars are rotated, they will derotate the molars to accommodate the feature placement of the precision wings and fourthly, if the patient has a posterior crossbite, they will expand the upper arch to correct the crossbite before the mandible advancement phase. In the pre-MA phase, the patient will have standard aligners with attachments and no precision wings. In the middle phase of treatment, which we call the mandible advancement phase, you can see that's indicated by the dark blue lines on the staging tab at the bottom of the screen. In the mandible advancement phase, the purpose of this phase is to advance the mandible with simultaneous tooth movement. And so the clinical treatment for this phase will involve class two correction, arch coordination, overjet reduction, teeth alignment, and leveling.
the type of aligners we will get for this face will be aligners with precision wings. It saves limited features under the precision wings because we are not able to place any attachments on the teeth that are covered by the precision wings. At the end of the mandibular phase, advancement phase, there are four aligners which represent what uh, Align Technology calls the transitional phase. Basically, these are passive aligners with precision wings. And this transitional phase holds the mandible in the advanced position while waiting for your additional aligner to arrive. So no tooth movement happens during these four aligners. However, these aligners will have the precision wings for the patient to maintain their mandible in a forward position. Let's look at two cases treated with this mandibular advancement feature. The first case is a class two division two malocclusion. This case was presented at the American Association of Orthodontists annual session in 2017 as a case report. It is one of the cases from a multi-sensor study from the testing doctors for Invisalign with mandibular advancement. This is a patient, she's female, she's almost age 12, which tells us that she's right at the beginning of her pubertal growth spurt. So the indications for Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement is class two growing retronathic. These are her pretreatment radiographs and her cephalometric measurements. Her A and B is 7.8 degrees. So she's significantly more class two than her facial profile uh, would allow us to believe. This is a clincher for Invisalign with mandibular advancement. You'll notice that the mandible advances in a series of jumps. Sequential advancement, the mandible will advance two millimeters every two months or two millimeters every eight aligners until the patient is in an edge-to-edge -edge position after which the patient is held in that position until the advancement phase is complete. In conjunction with the mandible advancement, you will notice on this clincheck leveling lower arch intrusion to level the curvospine, the lower arch, as well as upper incisor alignment. Here's the patient at the appliance insert, and here you can see the patient wearing the appliance with the advancement wings engaged. In the upper wing, you can see a compliance indicator. This feature is available as an Invisalign team product, and you can see the engagement on the wings on the left buckle as well here. So this forces the patient to posture forward into an edge-to-edge -edge position. Here she is at three months at six months and at 11 months we decided that the mandible advancement phase was completed but you can see that we have completed a whole lot of other treatments in addition to the mandible advancement we've leveled and aligned the lower arch we have corrected the deep overbite and we have almost completed alignment in the upper arch as well at this point in time we will take a progress cephalometric radiograph to assess both the dental as well as the skeletal changes that have happened during the mandible advancement phase. Because no IPR is allowed in the mandible advancement phase, you will notice there is small proclination of the low incisors as the dental arches were aligned. Here you can see the A and B change of 
of um, 2.8 degrees and the SNB has increased. SNMP has maybe increased about one degree and INPA, the low end sizes have proclaimed forward about four and a half degrees. So in the additional phase, we have decided that we will integrate some IPR in the lower arch in order to retrocline our lower incisors back to a no normal IMPA angle. In the additional phase, you can also see that we have now included the second molars, which have now erupted into occlusion. In this phase, I have ordered precision cuts for class two elastics that the patient perhaps may wear at night when sleeping so as to maintain the forward position of the mandible. And here are final records at 21 months. And these are the final cephalometric tracings. You can see that the patient had good growth in the lower jaw to allow us to correct her skeletal class two problem. And the before and after comparison. Let's look at another case, a class two division one malocclusion that was treated with mandibular advancement with precision wings. This patient is 12 and a half, and you can see that we started her in the late mixed dentition. So we can treat these patients in mixed dentition, late mixed dentition, or in the permanent dentition, as long as we have the criteria that they still have some growth ahead of them. These are the pretreatment radiographs. And her A and B measured out at eight degrees with an S and B that was two standard deviations below normal. And her IMPA was 109.7. Now, traditionally, this would have contraindicated this patient for any type of functional appliance because we all know that functional appliances have a tendency to further procline the lower incisors in the process of class two correction. However, in this particular case, I determined that I would use the clear liners to control the lower incisor position. And it will be interesting to see how this case treats out. So here's the Invisalign with mandible advancement, precision wings with sequential advancement. As I mentioned before, no IPR is allowed in the mandible advancement phase, and so we would have to plan for IPR in the additional aligner phase. Here's the patient at three months, at six months, and at eight months, we decided that she was overcorrected. At the end of the mandible advancement phase, if we feel that the patients are overcorrected, what we will do is ask them to only wear their mandible advancement aligners at night and allow the occlusion to come together during the daytime while waiting for the additional aligners to arrive. We take a progress step to look at the treatment effects that have occurred with the mandible advancement phase. In this particular patient, her A and B decreased, SNB increased almost two degrees, SNMP remained about the same. Our lower incisors did procline by about four degrees. So in the additional aligner stage, I've incorporated 
IPR in the lower anterior region. And you can see that with the IPR, we retrocline and upright the lower incisors. Because this patient was part of the clinical study that was run in the United States, we actually had to go straight into the additional aligner stage without having the luxury of allowing that buccal occlusion to settle. If I had to treat this patient today, I would probably either discontinue the aligners for about three months to allow the occlusion to settle before making the additional aligners. But because this patient was part of the clinical study, we had to treat the patient right into phase two immediately. And so what I've done is to put class two triangular elastics with button cutouts in the lower arch to allow me to close that buckle open bite. And here's the patient at the end of the first use of additional liners. And here are her final records at 32 months. We take a post-treatment cephalometric radiograph to look at the changes that have happened. And again, there's been significant mandibular growth for this patient. When we look at the numbers, we can see that we have maintained the A and B correction, as well as the increase in S and B. S and MP remain the same. And so these clear aligners offer us extremely good vertical control. And this is one unique feature about Invisalign with mandibular advancement. Traditionally, the high angle class two cases have been the most difficult and challenging cases for orthodontists in terms of a skeletal correction. And for many years, our only option was a high pull headgear to control the vertical. However, we have very good vertical control with Invisalign with mandibular advancement. And this new solution for class two growing retronathic patients may be the solution that many orthodontists are looking for, for the high angle patients, because the SNMP uh, remains almost the same after the mandibular advancement. The other number I'd like us to look at is the IMPA. And as we look at the IMPA, we can see that we started off with 109.7. The incisors proclined as a result of the advancement. But in the second phase of treatment, I uprighted the low incisors with lower arch IPR. And you can see that we are able to program that very well into the aligners and recover from that low incisor proclination. This, the two cases that I showed you was part of a clinical study that was conducted in North America and uh, there's preliminary data that's been submitted and we looked at overjet molar relationship A and B with appraisal facial convexity and IMPA and all these numbers were trending in the right directions for class 2 correction and show that the effects are very similar to other class two correctors or other class two functional appliances, except that Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement offers extremely good vertical control. So here are some principles of Invisalign with mandibular advancement treatment. It's indicated for the mixed dentition and permanent dentition. It's indicated for class two growing retronatic patients. There's sequential advancement to allow for muscular adaptation. The mandibles advance two millimeters every two months or two millimeters every eight aligners. 
all these patients are on seven-day change. Similar to all functional appliances, the degree of class 2 correction requires growth potential and patient compliance. So the degree of class 2 correction is not dependent on the number of aligners. If it's a full-cut class 2, as a clinician, I would expect probably 12 to 14 months of mandible advancement to correct to class 1. But if my patient is a half-cut class 2 and in the midst of their pubertal growth spurt, I might probably anticipate that I will achieve the class 2 correction earlier. The anterior teeth may be aligned and the curve of C level simultaneously during the mandible advancement phase. And the best of all, it transitions seamlessly into the second phase of clear aligner treatment without the precision wing advancement feature. Finally, I would like to close with the story of two generations of Invisalign treatment, a mother and a daughter. This is mom. She's a skeletal class two division one null occlusion. And you can see that she's missing a premolar in the upper right quadrant. So the first molar is in a super class two relationship, deep overbite, increased overjet. These are her pretreatment radiographs. And this is the metric tracing. Her A and B is eight degrees and she is retronaphic. We treated mom with Invisalign with orthognatic surgery. So here she is in the lower half of the screen, three weeks post-surgery. And that's usually the first time I see the patients when they come back from orthognatic surgery. The tabs that you see on the photographs are placed by the oral surgeon during the time of surgery and the patient wears the aligners together with elastics off the tabs for several weeks post-surgery to settle the occlusion as well as for intermaxillary elastics post-orthognatic surgery. And here's mom with her treatment complete. What an amazing difference for this patient who had a straightforward mandible advancement and a facial change. Now, mom was really, really happy. And then she said to me, Dr. Tai, I have a daughter who's 12 and a half years old. Will you be able to see her? And would we be able to also treat her with Invisalign? And so she brings her little daughter in to see me. And little Addie is 12 and a half years old. And guess what? She looks exactly like mom with the same class two retronaphic mandible. These are her intraoral photos. And you can see she's class two, division two. And she's 12 and a half, which means she's about to start her pubertal growth spurt. These are her pretreatment radiographs. And when we look at herself, she looks exactly like mom on her cephalometric tracing as well. Her A and B is seven degrees. Her mandible is one standard deviation below normal. How are we going to treat little Addie? Well, I told mom, mom, you had to have orthognatic surgery because your malocclusion was very, very severe. Now, your daughter has the same severe malocclusion, but because she's only 12 and a half and she has this pubertal growth potential ahead of her, 
we will be able to treat her with Invisalign with mandibular advancement without orthodontic surgery. What an amazing story of two generations of treatment, technological innovation in the field of clear aligners. So here's little Addie, and she's wearing the Invisalign with mandibular advancement with the precision wings that posture the mandible forward into an edge-to-edge position. In the buckle shots, you can see the wings interdigitating and interlocking as the patient protrudes forward. You can also see the immediate improvement in her facial profile when she's wearing these uh, mandibular advancement aligners. And this is a great motivation for patient compliance. The minute they insert the aligners and engage the precision wings in the forward position, their facial profile immediately looks better. And many, many patients are highly motivated to wear these aligners. And here she is at the end of the mandibular phase 10 months later. But you can see that in addition to the mandibular advancement, we have completed a significant part of the treatment already. We have leveled and aligned the lower arch, and we have almost completed alignment in the upper arch as well. At this point, we would rescan her to make additional aligners without the precision wings and continue through with the treatment. And so here she is in her progress records 10 months later. Note the improvement in her facial profile, in the facial convexity, as well as in her occlusion. So having heard the story of two generations of Invisalign treatment, I believe that Invisalign with mandibular advancement represents a groundbreaking revolutionary leap forward for the field of clear liner technology and for orthodontics. It gives us orthodontists the ability to offer patients treatment options that were never before available, not just with mandibular advancement, but also with Invisalign first treatment for early mixed dentition treatment. And so as the field of clear aligner technology advances and continues to evolve, we'll be able to treat a broader range of malocclusions with Invisalign clear aligners. So at this point, I'm going to hand over the session to Nancy, our moderator for today. Nancy, are you online? Thank you, Dr. Tai. Um, just wanting to um, to rephrase, um, just so that everyone is aware, in the U.S., Invisalign treatment with mandibular advancement is investigational device only, not for some in the U.S. Um, again, wanted to say thank you, Dr. Tai, for a great presentation. I want to cover one quick thing that's very important in order to receive your CE certificate for this program. Currently on the screen right now, there should be a link that will take you to a quick survey. Once you complete your survey, you will be, you'll have immediate access to your CE certificate. So please go there after the completion of the program. If you experience any problems with, with viewing any of the presentation, the archive program will be available on the education tab of your Invisalign doctor site. Um, we will have, we have uh, quite a few questions for you, Dr. Tai. So, um, and the first one, the first question is, uh, how do you determine where to acquire space for erupting bicuspids and cuspids in a mixed dentition without the use of a lateral 
cephalometric radiograph? Um, I recommend that we take uh, cephalometric radiographs for these patients to assess lower incisor inclination and whether we can afford to procline the lower incisors or not. As a clinician, I tend to limit the forward movement of the incisors. And so on the on the three cases that I showed you, you will see that I regain space for the dental arch through two modalities. One is arch expansion, and the other one is molar distalization. So that's where we're going to get the space to alleviate the crowding for these early mixed dentition patients. Thank you. The next question is, will you be able to have separate clinical preferences for Invisalign first versus regular teen or, or adult Invisalign? The clinical preferences are set two ways. There are global clinical preferences that you can set on your IDS site that will universally apply to every single patient. However, if you want to vary from your general global clinical preference, you can state different preferences in the special instruction box at the end of every prescription sheet that you fill in. So for example, uh, my global clinical preferences say under expansion, expand only posterior molars and premolars, but do not expand canines. Because for adult patients and older patients, I believe that I do not want to violate that intercanine width. However, for Invisalign first patients, I have different preferences that apply. And you saw that when I showed you that prescription sheet, I actually asked for expansion of permanent molars, primary molars, as well as primary canines. Thank you. The next question is, do you ever recommend taking out primary teeth? So in that third case that I showed you, I actually asked for extraction of primary canines in all four quadrants to allow for eruption of the lateral incisors. The extraction of primary canines leads the clinician down two treatment pathways now. Uh, if they feel that a phase one treatment is not indicated, then that patient might be down the pathway towards serial extraction. So we start off by taking out primary canines, the lateral incisors erupt, and conceivably they might be in contact with the primary first molars. So eventually we'll end up extracting first premolars to allow the canines to erupt. So extraction of primary canines on one pathway will lead to serial extractions of permanent teeth. The other pathway would be to extract the primary canine, allow the lateral incisors to erupt, and then as part of the phase one treatment objective is to regain space for the primary canines that were extracted. And that would lead the clinician down a future non-extraction pathway for that particular patient. Great, thank you, Dr. Tai. The next question is, how many days per tray for phase one? All these patients are on seven-day change, but um, they, there are some patients who are changing their aligners as quickly as five days in the mixed dentition. 
I recommend not changing the trays longer than seven days. So seven days should be the maximum amount of time these patients change their aligners. Because they didn't transition so fast, my goal is to get as much alignment and to work through the aligners as much as possible before the next primary tooth exfoliates. And so I would recommend a five to seven day change per aligner. Next question, why is there lower molar distillation? Uh, on some of the cases, I ask for lower molar distillization to regain space for, uh, in cases where there's more severe crowding, to regain space uh, rather than to have to extract permanent teeth in the future. So the lower molar distillization is only uh, by request. If you don't request for distillation of either upper or the lower molar, then what you will get is just expansion of the permanent first molar. Great, thank you. Next question. Of course, my first thought and continued thought, young kids tend to lose things. How is this best addressed? Um, it's quite amazing. I think um, I, I had my reservations too. And then moms started coming to me with all these concerns about wires and, and brackets in the child's mouth. And certainly the phase one patients that I treated with upper lower two by fours were a significant uh, percentage of the emergencies I saw in my practice because of a long span of unsupported wire in the back or primary teeth exfoliating halfway with a, with a bracket hanging on to the mobile tooth. And so these phase one emergencies were quite a high proportion of the bracket and wire emergencies I was seeing in my practice. And then having mom saying, I'm really concerned, you know, it's okay if my 14 year old older kid has brackets, he'll survive and he'll live through it. But I'm really concerned that the younger one at seven or eight years old has to have brackets and wires on their teeth. I've not had patients lose their they actually have been super compliant, this age group of patients. And now they've started to come in uh, into my practice saying, uh, I'm only eight years old, but could I have aligners? And so really, I think that the con consumers or patients are actually trending towards wanting aligners, particularly if they have an older teenage sibling who's already in clear liner treatment. These are the phase one patients who say, you know, I, I don't really want to have brackets and wires either. I would like to have liners just like my older brother or my older sister. Great, thank you. How long does it typically take to capture images for a child? Do you have any issues with them complaining of the air excessively? Um, not at all. In fact, um, it's much easier to scan mixed dentition patients because you get more teeth in one scan of view and you can get the palate in one swipe. So it's actually much easier and faster to scan the mixed dentition patients. Next question. Do you get skeletal expansion with Invisalign during early mixed dentition? Uh, we don't know if we get skeletal expansion. I do not assume that we get skeletal expansion. In the phase one limited market release, uh, most of us program it for dental alveolar expansion, and I have not taken any uh, 
radiographs or CBCT images to ascertain if there was any skeletal expansion involved. Now, the Invisalign first is not a substitute for a rapid maxillary expander. It really is limited to dental alveolar expansion or what we would call arch development. If a patient in the in the orthodontist diagnosis requires a rapid maxillary expander, then a rapid maxillary expander to open up the mid-patal suture should be the first phase of treatment. And then after the expansion is complete, then the patient may be scanned for Invisalign clear liners. Great. Um, next question. How do you determine the child's willingness to wear the trays long enough to create the needed movement? Many forget them at home in the morning, so are without without through the whole school day. Uh, what I've done for some patients, whom if you feel that the patient is a great candidate, but you're uncertain about the compliance, is to give the patient what we call a trial set of aligners, which is basically after we scan the patient, uh, we export the STL file we make the patient upper and lower clear vacuum form SX retainers and have the patient wear them for two or three weeks uh, to test the compliance of the patient. Now the SX retainers of course will not fit the same way. They might be a little bit looser uh, because there are no attachments on the teeth, but they're a great way to test the compliance of a patient uh, to, and to see if they're suitable for visible clear line of treatment, uh, whether they're seven or eight years old, 14 or 15, or whether they're 75 years old, uh, trial aligners are a great way to test the com patient compliance and the ability to wear the aligners before actually initiating uh, Invisalign treatment. Next question, Dr. Tai. Do you have any photos of the cases after all of the permanent teeth erupt? Do you have any measurements of permanent molar and intracanine width after Invisalign first tre treatment? Just curious if the musculature keeps the molars in place and allows for better arch alignment to support your comment about less extractions after Invisalign first expansion. Yes, that, that is a great question, uh, by the way, because uh, many of the literature has shown that no matter what we do in the first phase, eventually things do settle down in the second phase. Uh, McNamara actually advocates for this early dental arch development, he says, before the musculature can adapt. And we know that the intercanine width can increase uh, just naturally through growth up to the age of nine or 10 years old. Because Invisalign first treatment was only launched in September 2016, none of the clinicians who treated these cases are far long enough where the patient has completely transitioned into the permanent dentition. Most of us started our cases in September, October, and that's why I have only five month prog uh, photos to show on this webinar. Up to the five-month mark, I would say it's extremely promising. The feedback from the patients has been incredible. They're the most compliant little patients ever. You know, they come in and they're not in pain. They're very happy to show me their treatment progress. As well as uh, the sequential expansion, I think, is extremely predictable and uh, 
I think, probably more predictable than just generally expanding the upper arch on, on both sides because it maximizes the strength of uh, the Invisalign as a maximum anchorage appliance. And so the expansion and the distalization has been very predictable to date in all the patients treated with Invisalign first. But certainly that would be a great ongoing thing and as these patients transition into the permanent dentition no doubt we will be scanning and measuring the intermolar width again to see if our projected treatment goals were achieved or whether we need to maybe expand a little bit more than our projected goal to allow for some relapse. Uh, these are very good questions that need to be answered further down the line as these patients transition into the permanent dentition. Next question. Do you instruct Invisalign-specific movement three lateral root position relative to unerupted canine to prevent resor resorption risk? Example, I would place my brackets to maintain mesial root on the laterals. Yes, of course. We can do that in the special instruction box. So one of the instructions you might give to the technician is, you know, uh, do not add distal root tip to the upper laterals or if you felt that the laterals uh, already had a mesial inclination to the root to say maintain current root inclination, do not correct. And those instructions can all be noted down in the special instruction box when you fill in the prescription form. Next question. Many kids have stainless steel crowns on primary second molars and permanent first molars. What is the best way to place attachments on these crowns? Uh, in the case that I showed, you can see that I asked for no attachments on the stainless steel crowns. I, I think that's just asking for an emergency to happen because uh, even with uh, other types of bonding methods, I've successfully to porcelain crowns using porcelain edge, but not to fugo crowns or to stainless steel crowns. So basically, I asked for no attachments on those particular teeth. What are the aligner change schedule? What are the total movement for each tooth per aligner? Okay, I'm going to uh, assume because tooth movements appear in, uh, in six planes of space. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the expansion, uh, the sequential expansion, which basically is 0 0.25 per aligner. So a quarter of a millimeter per aligner at seven-day change, it would be one millimeter a month, whether it's distalization or expansion. Great, thank you. And how do you manage the case when primary teeth are falling out during treatment? If the aligner still fits, I will allow the primary teeth to fall out and the permanent tooth to erupt into the space in the aligner where the primary tooth was. Uh, this works because the primary first molar and the primary second molar basically are larger teeth than the permanent first premolar and the second premolar. So there's lots of space for these uh, premolars to erupt into the aligner. However, if the aligner does not fit due to tooth exfoliation, then we will actually rescan the patient to make better fitting aligners. Does the patient need to have their second permanent molars erupted before starting treatment? 
No, the answer is no. In fact, for these phase one patients who are seven or eight years old, the second permanent molar only erupts at age 12. So that's why we have the ability to do as much expansion and distalization as we can before the second permanent molar erupts. So we don't need to wait for the second permanent molar to erupt either for Invisalign first treatments or even Invisalign teen treatments. Oftentimes, I will start treatment on a teen patient before the second permanent molar erupts and ask for an eruption tab for the second molar. And then after the second molar erupts, then I will rescan to capture that second molar into my aligner and continue with additional aligners. Great, next question. In the second case shown, the lower six are not fully captured in the scan. And therefore, it looks like the lower aligners did not cover the distal half of the lower six, but the lower six are moving quite a bit with the distillation and flash expansion. Will tooth movement still be effective without full aligner coverage of the six? Well, clearly in that case, you saw that that molar was moving and that that will be an issue with Invisalign first patients because oftentimes the distal half of the tooth is less erupted than the mesial half. My rule of thumb is as long as you have two-thirds of the occlusal of the molar as well as an attachment on the buccal surface, the tooth seems to be able to move as programmed on the clinchette. So two-thirds of the occlusal surface as well as an attachment on the buckle to help this tooth movement become more predictable. And they actually have been uh, moving quite well in all my patients, even though some of them, as you noted on, on the on the ClinCheck, you could see that we, we didn't completely capture the first molar. It doesn't have, hasn't seemed to be an issue for tooth movement. Next question, if a new scan is needed due to a loss of a primary tooth and the aligner doesn't fit, what do you use to hold the teeth in position while new aligners are made following the rescan? Um, we try to find the best fitting aligner that the patient can wear. And sometimes if they're not able to wear any aligner at all, we make them an interim SX, upper and lower SX retainer uh, in our in-house lab to hold the teeth until the new aligners come. And it's very important to try to get the additional aligners for any Invisalign first patient. Between the time we scan and the time we insert, we have to try to get the aligners back to the patient uh, as soon as possible. So we might do the insert sooner than for some of our other aligner patients. We try to get them back within four weeks uh, to do the insert. Does distalizing the first molar in the borderline serial extraction case cause crowding or stacking of the second molar? I think I'm not far along into treatment uh, to see that effect at this point. So most of my patients have only been in treatment for six months. And um, the patients are, as you saw, ranging from seven to nine years old. And the second molar, you know, is still two or three years away from erupting. So it's hard to predict if the distalization will indeed cause the stacking or not. And we have to remember that, you know, in these patients, the dental arches are continuing to, to grow. 
So in a seven years old, not only is the intercanine width still has the ability to increase, but uh, the distal part of the dental arch will continue to grow and lengthen in order to accommodate the eruption of the second molar and then eventually the third molar. Would you treat a skeletal posterior crossbite with aligners? No, I would not. And in fact, most of these patients, uh, you will see that n none of the three cases I presented had a skeletal discrepancy. These are patients that we, with Invisalign first patients, are patients that you would treat in your practice with an upper lower two by four who do not require skeletal modification. If I have a skeletal crossbite, then I would treat that patient with a fixed rapid metry expander, expand the patient, retain them, and when I felt that the, the arch form was stable, then I would remove the expander and then scan to treat the patient with Invisalign aligners. Similarly, for a patient with a class two skeletal discrepancy, I would attempt growth modification with Invisalign with mandibular advancement uh, rather than, uh, you know, Invisalign, just doing Invisalign first without the mandible advancement. And if a patient has a class three skeletal discrepancy, I normally would treat that patient with a rapid max ray expander and a protraction face mask to address the skeletal discrepancy uh, rather than treating that patient with Invisalign first. Invisalign first, we have to be very clear, is dental alveolar expansion with dental tooth movement only. Invisalign with mandibular advancement, we can attempt growth modification for class two growing retronathic patients. Great, thank you. How do primary teeth fall out naturally if they are wearing the Invisalign trays over the occlusal constantly? Kids can't wiggle teeth out, etc. Um, actually, those primary teeth get very loose when we place attachments on them and they, they still exfoliate anyway because there are times when the aligners are not in the patient's mouth during the day when the patient is eating or brushing their teeth. So the aligners, um, if anything, they tend to accelerate the exfoliation of primary teeth uh, rather than hinder the exfoliation of primary teeth. Does distalizing the first molars cause impaction of the second molars both on the upper and lower? I think we answered that question uh, just now because it's a very similar question to the stacking of the molars. Great, thank you. And next question, Dr. Tai. It seems that the time frame for support for Invisalign first is 18 months according to the website. It would seem that if we are planning to treat these patients in phase two with Invisalign, there would, there would need to be another lab fee incurred. How would you reconcile this in the overall cost to the orthodontist? Um, I do charge more for a phase one plus phase two treatment in any case. Um, so they will have the option to either use uh, Invisalign first. Uh, if you're starting a patient as young as seven to nine years old, you would use Invisalign first, uh, do an 18-month phase one treatment, then place the patient in a two or three-year break till the patient is 13 or 14 before we start the second phase of Invisalign treatment. And so uh, 
the orthodontist can either choose to, you know, continue with the way they charge the patient for phase one treatment and then charge the patient again for phase two, or many orthodontists such as myself, actually I have changed the way I'm charging my patients now and I've actually just quoted them one fee that I own phase two and to pay that fee out over a three or three and a half year time frame and say, you know, I'm going to take care of your child all the way uh, till they have completed their second phase of treatment in full dedication. With the patients as well as the parents. Parents always want to know what is the bottom line for the orthodontic treatment. Many parents don't like to commit to a phase one treatment if they don't know how much phase two is going to be. So they feel like they're committing to an open-ended, you know, financial commitment. That's one thing. Two is, you know, I, there have been times when I've done a phase one treatment so well that the phase two was very minor and then patients didn't want the phase two treatment because they couldn't see the value of paying thousands of dollars just for very minor correction. But the only reason that it, it was a minor correction in phase two was because, you know, the phase one was done so well, we had set the patient up well for the eruption of the permanent teeth and done the skeletal correction in phase one. And so those patients, oftentimes, you know, we lost those patients in the second phase because mom will say, well, I have three kids and I don't have any more money to spend on kit number one because kit number two and three also needs braces. So by charging one fee upfront for both phase one and phase two, that keeps the patients in the practice and allows me as an orthodontist to complete the work that I started when the patient was much uh, younger. So hopefully by charging an increased fee overall, but allowing the patient to pay for it over a longer time frame, uh, that will cover any increased costs that you may have in your lab bill for Invisalign second phase Invisalign product. Great, next question, Dr. Tai. How do you feel about the forced round tipping of the lower incisors? Um, this is for the mandible advancement, right? Uh, because in the phase one, we can control that very well by Invisalign first. We can expand the dental arch and then align the incisors. But uh, I think uh, what this question refers to is the Invisalign mandible advancement case where we are not allowed to do the IPR in the initial phase and then we have to do the IPR in the second phase and tip them back. I wish that Align Technology will allow us to do some IPR in the uh, mandible advancement phase. Or right now, what I'm doing is in the pre-mandible phase, I might set up the patient with lower arch IPR first and do a couple of months of alignment with lower arch IPR before I advance the mandibles. I'm also setting up the checks to have almost a negative uh, lower incisor root torque to counteract the flaring of the lower incisors. So on the check, it might look a little bit different with retrocline lower incisors for class two case. But in the mo uh, more recent cases I've treated, that's how I've set it up, the negative uh, low incisor root torque, almost like an MBT bracket that has that minus six degrees of torque built into the low incisors to counteract any lower incisor uh, flaring that might occur as a result of the mandible advancement. 
Great. Thank you, Dr. Tai. This concludes the Q&A portion of our program. I know this is a topic you have a ton of information um, on. Unfortunately, we are out of time. If you have submitted a text question again, I apologize. We will do our best to answer it after the program. A couple of quick reminders. Please go to the link that is on your screen right now to take your survey and to get your CE certificate. One week from today, this entire program will be archived um, at the Education tab on your Invisalign doctor site. I wanted to say thank you, Dr. Tai, for a great presentation and for all of, all of you for taking the time out of your Friday to join us. We look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thank you very much.